series on what's in the news, and Nick is continuing that this morning, talking about sex and sexuality. Um, I've prayed for him already for this this morning, um, so I'm not going to pray again. I'm just going to hand uh, straight over to Nick if he's ready. Yep, nearly. Okay, so, what's in the news? We've been talking not just about what's in the news, but what the Bible says about what's in the news, because God has things to say to help us live our lives today and to bring the life that Naomi was talking about, uh, life to the full, out. Um, So, about a month ago, I spoke about Um, sex and relationships where I focus mostly on heterosexual relationships. Today I want to talk about uh, non-heterosexual LGBT issues, uh, which is something which is in the news a lot. I just picked out four strands that I've been reading in the news as I've been preparing this. Uh, Four different types of stories that we see on this issue at the moment. One strand is about, really about pain and about bullying, recognising that uh, people can face a lot of pain, a lot of hatred and discrimination because of their sexuality or gender identity. This article, which was up a couple of weeks ago on the BBC, uh, was saying how, on average, Transgender people online are sort of facing thousands of threats, abuse, all kinds of things. Um, There's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of difficulty both in the sort of virtual space and in personal space and in family space as well. And we need to to understand and to emphasise that. And as Christians, actually, I believe we need to stand with Uh, threatened minorities and help people to know God's love and protection. So one strand out there is the pain and the bullying, if you like. Another strand is about coming out or transition stories, which are very common and powerful in our culture. So this is uh, Caitlyn Jenner, perhaps the most famous transgender person in the world, uh, winner of the uh, decathlon at the Olympic Games in 76 as, as Bruce Jenner. And then, do we have any Keeping Up with the Kardashians fans here? No, no one's admitting to it. <laughs> I've seen like one minute of it with Stevie, and I was like, what is the point of this? But anyway, there we go. Um, and who finally, uh, in 2015, uh, she, announced, he, she announced that she was no longer Bruce, she was becoming Caitlin and uh, underwent sex reassignment surgery in 2017. And in the last few weeks, uh, in preparation probably for going on I'm a a Celebrity, has been talking a lot about what it was to come out and and how she's... Or to transition, I should say. Um, There's actually been quite a bit around at the moment in the news about tensions. Um, Tensions both between people, say, in the LGBT community and perhaps the rest of, uh, 
of the community of, of the world, but also within those groups. Um, a recent story here, uh, LGB Alliance group faces criticism for being transphobic. So um, one of the founders of Stonewall, the very prominent um, LGBT um, charity, has split off and created a new group called the LGB Alliance, um, basically because they are concerned about the promotion of transgender rights by Stonewall and saying, actually, you know, there is a conflict between transgender people and um, lesbian and gay people. So there's a, yeah, there is tension going on within that community as well, as well as outside. And another strand I've been noticing in the news recently is also regrets alongside stories of um, transition and of coming out. Uh, this was an article recently um, about someone who, who regrets their decision um, to go through uh, transgender surgery. Um, and that's a, another sort of undercurrent out there. There's a lot of things going on. It's very much a live issue in our times. Um, and it's a live issue for many people because how it affects them personally. So, what has the Bible got to say about this area? And I want to do three things. I want to set a framework for discussion because it's one of those areas where how we talk about things actually can really matter and be really important. So I want to set a framework for discussion first. Then I want to look at a biblical view of sexuality. And finally, I want to ask, well, what's our response then? So setting a framework... Um, first thing to say is that sexuality and gender are really complex and challenging issues. They're hard because they touch on, on deep questions of our identity, who we are, who our friends and family members are. It's hard because it's a huge topic um, to be honest, we're really only going to hardly scratch the surface today. I'm going to say a few things, but there's so much more that could be said, and there's so much more that it is good to talk out you know, one-on-one rather than in this sort of uh, context. So, you know, so we're just laying a little bit of a foundation today, really. It's hard because it's deeply personal. And it's hard because of both history and current noise and discrimination and anger both in the church and in our culture. And it can be hard because of our own feelings and our own prejudices and our own loves. So there, this is a, a complex subject to deal with. Um, and I come to talk about it in one sense hesitantly, aware of my own shortcomings, my own ignorance, brokenness and prejudice. And I'm aware that as a diverse group of people, we're going to feel many different things on this issue. And yet, I'm really keen to talk about this because the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. It's good news about a God who loves every one of us. It's about Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again for every one of us, whoever we are, however we live. He wants us to know his love. He's a God of great love for us. And he wants to demonstrate his love to us 
He wants to change us and he wants to make us more like Jesus. And that applies to everyone, wherever they're coming from. Okay, so it's complex issues. Language matters. And there is some quite confusing language about this. And how people talk about gender and sexuality can have quite a, a big impact. And I wanted to, um, to explain some of the terms. For some people, this may be uh, teaching grandma to suck eggs. For others, it may be helpful to just try and understand the context. But as we do that, I'm going to talk through some of these things. This is a picture called the gender-bred person. Um, <laughs> which is an attempt to help people understand the different things. Because when we talk about um, sex and, and gender, there are whole different things that different people mean. Um, so, first we're going to talk about sex, or biological sex. So this is, this normally people mean by this, um, yeah, what you are genetically, what your DNA is, what your chromosomes are, um, to put it slightly crudely, what body parts you have. Okay, that is yeah, the starting point, if you like. Um, biological sex. Whether you're born as male or female. Um, I'm not really going to talk about it today uh, as well, but obviously there are some people who have some, do not have complete sex characteristics of one or other who now uh, tend to be referred to as intersex, um, and there's complicated issues around that as well. Um, so biological sex is one part of, of who we are, if you like. Then you have what they put up in the brain here, gender identity. What you feel yourself to be, man or woman or maybe non-binary. What you feel about yourself. For most of us, there is an alignment between you know, what we are biologically, and what we feel ourselves to be. And for most of the population, that's the case. And this is sometimes referred to as being cisgendered. So if you hear people talking about cisgender or cisgendered, that means that basically your biological sex and your gender identity match up. Um, for some people, and at certain times, it's a particular trend during teenage years, actually, um, there is a dislocation between these. And people have this feeling that's described often as being born in the wrong body. Um, we call it now gender dysmorphia. Um, the, you know, the wrong shape, if you like, or the wrong body. Um, now, while as far as we're aware, there have always been men and women who felt like that. You know, as old as history is, we think you know, there's always been signs of that. Um, advances in technology with hormone treatment and gender reassignment surgery mean that it's possible in some ways to physically transition, to change your apparent sex to match your desire, desired gender. And so that is gender identity is about the whole uh, gender issue. Then we have an, another area which is what we might call attraction or sexual orientation. We've put in the heart here who we are attracted to. Are we attracted to the same sex, homosexual, or to the other sex, heterosexual, or to both, bisexual? We could talk about pansexual or asexual or other things as well. Um, so all these different things uh, make up how people feel. For many people, they are all effectively in alignment, and that's 
normal for other people. They're struggling with feeling different things in different ways. I should say on this attraction or orientation issue, there is a, a grading of terminology here. Typically, people describe themselves, say, as gay or as lesbian um, when they've embraced this sexual orientation and they're seeking to live in that way. You'll also find quite a lot of people um, who recognise that's their primary attraction, if you like, but that are not choosing to live actively in that way, and they would normally call themselves same-sex attracted rather than saying they were gay or lesbian because um, to say gay or lesbian tends to suggest a, an association with a particular lifestyle. Um, Gender expression then, bringing it all together. What do we actually appear to people? How do we make ourselves look? How do we present ourselves to people? So for many people, there is a dislocation across these, which causes you know, lots of difficulties, lots of challenges. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Okay, so these are complex issues. Language matters. And disagreement should not be hate. At the moment, the terms homophobia and transphobia are bandied around quite a lot. Strictly speaking, they actually mean fear of homosexuals or of trans people, but they're mostly used to mean hatred, uh, dislike of these people. Unfortunately, it's become the case which if you, that if you disagree with an active homosexual lifestyle um, or trans lifestyle, you may be branded as, as phobic in that way, which can be quite a helpful thing. Here's a, a quote from Rick Warren that I found useful. He said, Our culture has accepted two, two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. So you know, disagreement does not mean hate. We can disagree with people and do it in a kind and in loving way. However, there is a follow-on from this. If we are to disagree with people who have passionately held beliefs about who they are, about what they are, we need to do it compassionately. We need to do it respectfully. We need to do it out of love, not out of discrimination or hatred or indeed our own insecurity um, and our own prejudice that may be there. So there is a high call for people who, want to, who have different views to what is perhaps the majority in our society. Okay, let's move on to a biblical view of sexuality and gender. Okay, I have now found a picture of Adam and Eve which I can show on a Sunday morning. So I'm glad about that. Um, it's nice, suitably blurred, all that sort of thing. So yeah, that's good news. So, what are we going to say about sexuality from the Bible? Sexuality is, is God's idea. Uh, we're told right at the beginning that God made people in his image Male and female. It says in Genesis 1, 27, 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male 
and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So right back at the beginning, um, there is this sense of both maleness and femaleness being part of the image of God and a part of that creation, really important as he creates them. We read on into chapter 2 of Genesis. And it says, um, chapter 2, The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And there is this sense that in the, um, the joining of man and woman, uh, you know, in the act of sex, if you like, um, becoming one flesh, there is something new happening. It's like God is creating something new, which is so crucial to what it is uh, to, you know, to, to humanity. As we see in the, the New Testament, that's actually used for a picture of what happens when Jesus and his church ultimately join together. Um, that's, that's the picture of becoming one flesh. So that is, if you like, how God set it up. But then... Um, we see things go wrong. Human sexuality, if you like, is broken. Um, the first people turn away from God. Part of the, the judgment of the fall as they turn reflects their sort of, it impacts their, their sexual relationship. And then you see it impacts everything. So, right through the Bible, there are pictures again and again of all kinds of sexual and gender problems and abuse. It's, you know, it's a quite a... It's not a, it's not a good read in some ways, reading what happens um, and even how the people of God actually are affected by all kinds of, uh, you know, unhelpful sexual behaviour. Um, within the Bible, uh, consistently homosexual and transgender lifestyle is seen within that context. So consistently, uh, sort of wherever you pick up on that in the Bible, that is the context it's seen in. It's seen as, actually, this is not the right way to do things. And that's a clear picture throughout. Um, looking into the New Testament times, actually, um, LGBT issues were very widespread then. Uh, it was very well accepted not so much in the Jewish world, but in the Greco-Roman world that the gospel sort of exploded into, that, um, that uh, many people, were, particularly many men, were bisexual, um, although there's also uh, sort of, of gay men and, and of lesbian uh, women as well. There is quite a lot of evidence of transgender activity. For example, the Emperor Nero married um, a castrated man Married her, him as a woman, you know, he, you know, uh, presenting as a woman. Um, yeah, that is the culture into which the Jewish, uh, sorry, the, the, the gospel came. Okay, and not dissimilar from some aspects of our culture in many ways. 
into that culture, um, the gospel came. And here is a, um, this is what Paul wrote to a church in Corinth facing these sort of issues. He said, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. People came in from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of situations. But they were changed by Jesus. He cleaned them up. He sanctified them. He forgave them. He justified them. That is the good news of the gospel. How did that happen? It happened because Jesus brought grace. You see, God loved the world so much that he didn't leave us in our sin, in the difficulties we face. Um, he sent his son, God, the, Jesus, the eternal son of God, to be born as one of us, to live with us, to teach, to die for us, to take on uh, a cross, all the sin, all that we'd done wrong, to take the penalty for that. He came to make us right for God, with God. Uh, his friend Peter would write of him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus came, died on a cross that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free from whatever uh, we've done, whatever we are that is not right in his eyes. And he enables us to live to please God with the hope of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just stay dead, he rose again to show that death no longer had a grip on him. And once he had risen, he poured out his Holy Spirit to help us to live his way. Uh, Peter again would write to God's elect, to God's people who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. The Holy Spirit can help us whatever we face. I wanted to um, just take a break for a moment and uh, play a story, a video. Uh, this is a video of a uh, a lady called Anne, um, who has struggled with um, same-sex attraction um, and tells her story of how God is meeting her in that. So, how do I do this? Let's... Uh, okay... I did a degree at University College London. I now live in Newcastle. I work with students and in my spare time I like taking photographs and riding on steam trains. <laughs> I kind of always, I always thought I was gay right from a, a young age. I can't remember a time where I wasn't aware of being gay really. Um, I was quite a tomboy when I was younger. I remember when I was 
five years old at my um, party and all my little friends had their party dresses on and I had a tracksuit and a motorbike helmet on <laughs> and I only lifted the visor to eat my cake. I became a Christian in my first year at university studying philosophy. I'd seen university as a chance to make a new life for myself and I thought I would throw myself into the LGBT because I wanted to be open about my sexuality and I did feel like I was with a group of people who understood me and I felt like I belonged but I still felt like there was something missing and I was still searching for meaning and truth in my life. There was a girl in my halls that went to church so I went along to church with her and I was really struck by the fact that they seemed to really believe what they were talking about. They seemed to, their faith seemed to make a real difference in their life. After one of the services, there was a student slot and um, a guy came along to talk who, who was actually from a gay background and he'd become a Christian and he was telling his story. And it was amazing because it's the first time that I thought, oh, okay, God loves gay people. Um, and so I was very inspired by him and I thought, well, maybe, maybe God would like me as well. At first, I think I found it very hard to accept the biblical teaching about sexuality. And it seemed very unfair that God would prevent me from having a relationship and I was I was torn really because I wanted to be obedient to God but I found it really really hard and I think I found it hard because I didn't fundamentally trust that he had my best interests at heart. It was a very much gritted teeth obedience for a lot of years I think and that it isn't always easy to sustain that and so I didn't. <laughs> it, um, yeah there were a couple of times where um, you know, I just, I just found it too hard to live like that, even though that's what I, you know, wanted to live in a way that pleased God. But I, did, I just found it practically really difficult in my early Christian life. But I'm in a different place now. When I'd taken a sort of wrong turn in my Christian life and um, I'd got involved in, in a relationship, I think some of the things that helped me get back on my feet were being in a really supportive church context. I actually never stopped going to church. And I think... I'm so glad that that was the case because I think it, you know it's, it's hard to be a Christian anyway but being a Christian by yourself without people encouraging you and without you know being in community is almost impossible. I always sort of left myself open to being challenged and kind of working this through with other people and I was very open with my minister and he gave me grace and space to to work things through. It's a bit like when you're learning to play the piano, your teacher doesn't throw you out if you've hit a bad note. They help you to <laughs> hit the right notes and it was a bit like that. I think as a single person, um, it's it's still really possible to have the intimacy and the, the love that you need. I think it comes from um, really good friendships and, and being in community. I do think that you know sharing my house and sharing my life with people has really transformed the way that I live and it means that I'm getting healthy physical touch, I'm getting healthy intimacy, I've got people to talk to when I need to wrestle with something or I just want some advice or I just need to cry or whatever. And actually the people that I work with um, are also really close friends. Living with a friend's great because it's, it's all about sharing life so you know when I get home some Sometimes Abby's like cooked me a delicious casserole. We share a car, so it, a lot of it's like sharing financial costs and things. But sharing life as well, going on trips, going on holidays, and just having someone there when you get in and you want to talk about your day. Somebody who's actually going to ask you and take an interest is huge. If I was asked to give advice to somebody um, who's same-sex attracted uh, and a Christian, I would say put Jesus first. Um, love him with all your heart and soul and mind because it's totally worth it. Whatever you give up for him, it is totally worth it.
I'm very moved actually watching that video again and, and hearing Anne's story. Um, powerful, you know, what, what do you have to give up to follow Jesus? What's our response? I want to suggest three things. One is to recognise, oh, I've gone the wrong way, recognise that we are all broken. You, you know, we're all sinners. We all get things wrong. There's a danger that church can treat homosexuality or transgender as different from other sins. Uh, for example, heterosexual immorality. But actually, we all face temptations to sin sexually, to have the wrong thoughts, uh, to watch stuff we shouldn't, to engage in things that we shouldn't. We all face that temptation. Some of us, it may be purely heterosexual, some it may be same-sex, some it may be other things, but we all face that. We need to recognise our brokenness and ask God for help. We need to find our identity in Christ and live accordingly. You see, Jesus came to make us new people, sons and daughters of God. In that bit I read from 1 Corinthians, it says, you were these things, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. What we are is not primarily straight, gay, transgender. If we choose to trust God and put our faith in him, the Bible calls it repentance, it calls it way of saying turning around, changing our way of thinking so that we do things God's way, not ours. If we do that, we become his disciples, his followers, his family. That's the invitation for everyone. It even describes our old way of life or dying to our old way of life so that we can live a new life in him. Our identity, our security is wrapped in him. It says in 1 Colossians, well in Colossians, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's put our identity in him. What does that mean? It means living Christ's way. If I am same-sex attracted or if I feel like I'm the wrong sex, I don't have any easy answers, but it means putting my trust in Jesus, asking him to help me. Asking the Holy Spirit to fill me. Looking for help from others I trust. Finding friendship in relationships that are not sexually inappropriate, as Anne talked about there. Learning to love the body that God gave me. It's not easy, but there are a lot of things out there to help. And the, her video was from Living Out, which has got a lot of stuff on their website, amongst other things. Um, there are others facing the same challenges. And the church, that's something that we can help and we can pray. And finally, for all of us, let's live out our lives with compassion and truth. We face two challenges in today's world, compassion and truth. We need to hold on to the truth of what the Bible tells us about God's way to live, not fearing the consequences that we may face for that, but we need to express that with a heart of compassion, a compassion that welcomes all and seeks to help 
all people find God's best. I'm aware that talking this through may have raised difficult issues for some of us. And as I said, I'm just scratching the surface in what I've dealt with today. Um, I'm going to leave us in prayer in a moment. But if there's things that you'd like to talk through with me or with someone else that you trust, I would really encourage you to do that because, you know, these are deep and, and difficult things, but God's grace is there to help us. I'm going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for your great love for us. I want to thank you that you sent Jesus that we could know you and know your love. I want to thank you that you came to make us more like him. And I pray for each of us, whatever we face, whatever challenges we face in this area, you would help us to know your grace and love for ourselves and for others as we we share life with people, as we come up against all kinds of different ideas and ways of living. Would you help us to, to live true and live compassionately and to know you with us? Thank you that you're here and you want to help us. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, I just want to...